Hey kids, what time is it? Nope, it is not howdy duty time. It's okay boomer time. You might have heard the idea that it would be good if old people would just get out of the way. Think of the money we'd all save. Third Flatiron welcomes back K.G. Anderson, who brings us a chilling but all too plausible outcome of the current economy in her near future sci-fi story, Wishbone. Born in Washington, D.C., Anderson says she's always been fascinated by social policy, politics, and protest movements, and she had a long career as a journalist. And as a viable Paradise Workshop graduate, she's putting her writing talents to good use in short-form speculative fiction. Discover more of K.G. Anderson's work, many available online, on her author website at writerway.com fiction. And now, here's Wishbone. But don't you have grandparents, Representative Pedestra? The talk show host leaned forward in an eager posture of false concern. How will you explain your proposed Age Equity Act to them? My grandson, Tori Pedestra, decked out in a blue suit, crisp white shirt, and camera-friendly burgundy tie, didn't even blink. He'd had media training. As a leader of the Third Party's coalition, I'm committed to ensuring that everyone in the United States gets a fair share of our remaining resources, he said. There's no question that the olds have consumed far more than their share. The AEA actually benefits them by ensuring that those of them who reach their 72nd year will enjoy discounted access to adequate housing, health care, and other resources all the way through their 79th year. I think the AEA is extremely generous when you consider how all the short-sighted baby boomers voted for the Trump-Pence administration in 2016 and 2020. They're the ones responsible for everything that went wrong in the next eight years. This great nation of ours can still recover. The coalition is here to see to that. But not if young people like us have to pay endlessly to keep a bunch of old right-wingers with dementia on life support. Frankly, I think the olds should be grateful that they can at least contribute something to society by getting out of the way. I'd watched the clip of that interview over and over, first stunned, then regretting that I'd helped send that little prick to law school. Tori had been a pushy, grabby, unpleasant child, and now he'd grown up to be a political nutcase. A few weeks later, at the dentist's office, I'd actually denied that I was related to him. Pedestra is a very common name, I told the receptionist. As it turned out, I'd underestimated Tory, and overestimated the common sense of the voting public. Three years later, Tory's third party's coalition swept the 2028 election. And a year later, to the astonishment of the pundits and the horror of 70 million Americans age 65 and older, the Age Equity Act sailed right through Congress it was part of a coalition budget package that combined programs friendly to young families, subsidized private daycare, tuition-free vocational school, and billions for mass transit, with programs near and dear to the hardcore conservatives, like expansion of the Border Patrol and more private prisons. All the funding, the coalition promised, 
would come from the savings anticipated from getting the olds out of the way. Of course, terrified seniors opposed the act, but what could we do? The UN passed a resolution condemning the act, but since the U.S. no longer belonged to the UN, that barely made the news. The AARP and humanitarian groups filed suit, but the 15-member Supreme Court, a legacy of the Pence-Trump administrations, split eight to seven and refused to hear any of the cases. Its members, along with other government officials, were conveniently exempt from the provisions of the AEA. The act went into effect in 2030. Outpatient surgery centers leaped to add end-of-life centers to their services. There were protests, of course, but after a year or so, those just kind of dwindled away. You know how it is. People got busy protesting other controversial government actions, like the repeal of food safety regulations and the sale of the national parks to the Russian oil companies. My family was bitterly divided over Tory's role in the passage of the AEA. My son Jason supported his son, at least publicly. My granddaughter Zipporah, who'd always been at odds with her older half-brother, used the millions she'd earned as a high-tech executive to support the unsuccessful challenges to the AEA. I was furious at Tory, but frightened as well. Old people living on their own were being picked up in sweeps or processed if they turned up at an emergency room and their health coverage had expired. Families were scrambling to calculate if they could afford to house, feed, and care for their elders once Social Security and Medicare had been cut off. The ultra-wealthy sent their grandparents out of the U.S. to high-end elder havens springing up in the Caribbean. But Tory and his coalition colleagues insisted, as a point of pride, that their own grandparents would report to end-of-life centers, just like everyone else. So I'd be reporting to an end-of-life center next Wednesday, a week before my 80th birthday. The original version of the Age Equity Act had mandated exterminating old folks on their 80th birthdays. But it turned out that requirement not only looked tacky, but involved complicated scheduling and weekend overtime. They'd fixed it so you could report for euthanization any time in your 79th year. Or even earlier. How convenient. Save society even more money. Needless to say, Tory didn't make an appearance at what would be my final Thanksgiving. I'd always loved Thanksgiving, so it broke my heart that my last one was so crummy. Jason and Alicia's dining room was right out of a design blog, but the food? The turkey was overcooked, the cranberry sauce canned, the stuffing soggy, the gravy thin and slightly burnt, and the pumpkin pie store-bought. And the conversation wasn't much better. Anybody want to make a wish? My son Jason, at the head of the table, wrenched the wishbone out of the turkey carcass and waved it in the air. All heads turned toward me. There was an awkward silence, and everyone got busy with their food again. After dinner, I was very careful not to limp as I carried a pile of dishes out to the kitchen. Jason might rationalize that they were, quote, putting me out of my misery, unquote, or some such thing. My daughter-in-law, Alicia, took the dishes from me and set them next to her new farmhouse sink. Vivian, Jason, and I really do want to be with you Wednesday when you go to the center, she said. That's very kind of you, but I've made other arrangements. But 
Mom, I'm taking her. Zipporah closed the refrigerator door and leaned back against the quartzite countertop, casual in her black hoodie and faded jeans. Grandma and I talked about it, and it's all set. While my granddaughter speaks in a soft, low voice, the woman means business. My late husband, Eric, had been so proud of Zipporah, with her engineering degree and the two companies she'd founded. He would have applauded her decision to live off the grid in a community of environmental activists in the mountains outside Bellingham. And he would have been intrigued by her plan to rescue me from the AEA. I could only hope that it would work. They have no idea what we're up to, do they? I said, as we jounced along in Zipporah's truck, headed for my apartment. No idea at all, Zipporah said. That's my mom and dad. Follow the rules. Your dad was that way even as a kid, I told her. Anything to keep the peace. But did they ever do anything to stop him bullying me? Oh, no. It was always an accident. And we should just get along. You and Grandpa were the only grown-ups who ever stood up for me. No wonder Zipporah had always wanted to stay with us on the weekends. I hadn't realized it had been that bad with her half-brother. Well, now you're more than paying me back. It's the least I can do, Grandma. Zipporah cranked the steering wheel, and the truck splashed through a puddle into the poorly lit parking lot of my retirement community. You coming up to take the boxes, I asked her. A dozen boxes sat in my living room, packed with clothes and books. Yes, but we have to be careful what we say. Zipporah shut off the engine. It's possible that your apartment has been bugged. Having you comply with the AEA, having you die, is essential for Tori's career. Tori can't have his political opponents saying that his grandmother got special treatment. Jason and Alicia came over to the apartment Tuesday night to say goodbye. I'm so sorry about this, Mom. I really, really am. I know, I said. Hey, maybe Tori's smart. Maybe it's better this way than me ending up in a nursing home. Jason, completely missing my sarcasm, brightened. Tori's running for... Alicia yanked at his arm, but he didn't notice. President, you know. What? My mouth opened and closed. Jason! Alicia glared at him. Yeah, not supposed to say anything, but... Yeah, but I'll be dead tomorrow. And they were off for, well, forever, as far as they were concerned. I changed into pajamas and poured some apricot brandy into a juice glass that hadn't been worth packing. Maybe I should just end it all. I'd lived 80 years, taught English at three colleges, never got tenure, but had some amazing students, married someone I loved, raised a son, and then outlived my husband. I'd lucked out, thus far, in terms of my own health. Only a few skin cancers and the arthritis. Why not quit now while I'm ahead? All I'd have to do was let them give me those two injections at the center tomorrow, and it would be over. I mean, how long could Zipporah afford to support me at her off-the-grid community? What if she got arrested and sent to prison? What if I got sick? No hospital would take me without insurance. I could thank Zipporah for her generous offer, but tell her I'd changed my mind. They gave me the first injection on the side of my neck. I tried to relax, 
staring into the eyes of the young doctor. You'll feel sleepy soon, Vivian, he patted my hand. But I didn't feel sleepy. I felt perfectly fine. I counted my last conscious breaths, not sleepy. Something must be wrong. I shifted in the chair. I could move, but not very far. They'd strapped me in, a belt across my lap and another across my chest. He turned away. A nurse handed him the second syringe, and he held it up to the bright ceiling light for a moment. But I don't, I protested. I don't feel sleepy, and I don't want to do this. I struggled, held down by the straps. The young doctor, who looked much like Tori, loomed over me. You've used too many resources already, Vivian. No, I shouted. I don't want to die. Sapora, help! I woke from the nightmare, absolutely sure I wanted to go through with Zipporah's plan, a plan that should enable me to stay alive until the natural, not legislated, end of my life. She arrived at 8 a.m. with a bag of cinnamon sugar donuts and a thermos of coffee. We ate at the kitchen table, keeping our faces blank and not saying much. If anyone was watching or listening, it looked convincingly like a last breakfast. Did you know, I began, Zipporah put her finger to her lips. I wrote on a slip of paper, Tori is running for president. Yes, she wrote back, not to worry. She knew. I concentrated on swallowing a bite of the donut. Then I rinsed the cups and said a quiet goodbye to the kitchen. We took my keys down to the main office, where people didn't have much to say either. They knew where I was going. In the truck, Zipporah turned to me. I need to level with you, Grandma. I know the plan was just to fake the euthanasia and take you up to the farm and hide you, she said. But we have a tremendous opportunity to stop Tory's presidential campaign and the third-party coalition. Well, you have the opportunity. I listened as Zipporah explained the plan. Let's give it a try, I said. A half-dozen protesters clustered at the entrance of the end-of-life center. Their signs read, Someday your grandkids will do this to you. As Zipporah and I walked past, they bowed their heads in silence. God bless, one woman called out. I did my best to look grim and brave. At the front desk, I showed my driver's license and signed forms that said I understood that the medication I'd be given would result in death. Zipporah squeezed my hand, and they led me away to the windowless room. With a formica-topped counter and a beige, padded surgical chair, it looked like the room in my nightmare. Two large syringes lay on a white tray on the counter, one to put me to sleep, the other to stop my heart. This was a bit too realistic. The nurse came in, a thin woman, nondescript, in aqua scrubs, she motioned me to the chair. I thought it was strange that she didn't meet my gaze. She was supposed to be a friend of Zipporah's. Finally, she held a finger to her lips and pointed to a dressing area with a curtain. I peeked in and saw the set of blue cotton scrubs hanging from a hook, along with the ID badge on a lanyard. The brown wig lay on a bench, and there was an exit door. I donned the disguise and read the typed note tucked under the wig. Leave your clothes. 
Take the clipboard and follow the hall to the tunnel. Go into room 122, open the outside door, and wait for a blue Tesla sedan. The tunnel was long and dim. A medical technician headed the other way took no notice of me. I found room 122, but where was the blue Tesla? Finally, the car appeared, and I hurried out. The driver, a round-faced young woman in a red ski jacket, grinned. Fancy spaghetti for lunch, she asked. That was the phrase I'd been told to wait for. I sighed with relief and collapsed into the passenger seat. I was headed into my second life as a fugitive. But two police cars, along with a van from a local TV station and several photographers, were waiting for us in the front parking lot. Zipporah was there, too, tall and angry, waving her arms at the police officers. When our car stopped, Zipporah yanked open the passenger door and pulled me out. Grandma, she wailed, they've caught us. Her cheeks were streaked with tears. I was astonished. I don't think I'd seen Zipporah cry since she was six and Tori had stomped on her collection of toy ponies. With a great show of choking back tears, my granddaughter faced the cameras. We love our grandmother, and Tori couldn't bear the thought of Vivian dying because of his Age Equity Act. He was able to set up a plan to smuggle her out of the country. You really can't blame my brother for saving his own dear grandmother, can you? I attempted to look as grandmotherly as possible, while the cameras circled around us and the reporters shouted questions. The headlines the next morning were brutal. Pedestra caught smuggling grandma to safety. Accusations of family favoritism sink Pedestra campaign. Tori protested his innocence, but Zipporah and her hacker friends had set up a perfect frame, right down to sending a big payment from one of Tori's bank accounts to an elder haven in Costa Rica. Those boxes of possessions I'd given Zipporah the previous week? Why, they'd mysteriously turned up in Tori's garage, in Chevy Chase. Just as Zipporah and her friends had hoped, the scandal they'd cooked up put a quick end to Tory's presidential campaign. He had to resign his congressional seat in the face of outrage from coalition colleagues, whose own families had sacrificed grandparents and parents to his Age Equity Act. But most importantly, the uproar led Congress to rescind the act itself. Congratulations all around, and especially to our new neighbor, Vivian. Zipporah's friends toasted me at a belated Thanksgiving dinner. There were ten of us eating a heritage turkey raised right here on the farm. The cranberry sauce was homemade. There was plenty of thick gravy, and we'd cooked fettuccine with mushrooms and a green bean casserole for the vegetarians. Zipporah took the turkey wishbone out to the kitchen to dry in the oven and came back carrying a warm apple pie. We talked late into the night about candidates, about issues, about the importance of registering voters and getting out the vote. A young woman pointed out the advantages of moving even further off the grid. Forget the system. We can grow our own food, run our own schools, she argued. We can live better than most Americans. I had to say something. Going off the grid may be a solution for you, but what about, well, what about everyone else? People who can't afford land. 
people who are disabled, people who are old. Remember, you'll all be old someday. At least, I hope you will. Zipporah tapped me on the shoulder. She held out her wishbone to me. I grasped my end between thumb and forefinger and closed my eyes. I was wishing for good health and long life with my new family. Zipporah was probably wishing for a whole new political system. Would she get her wish? I get mine? It didn't matter. Either way, things would be better. The wishbone snapped. The end. Thanks for listening to this podcast from thirdflatiron.com. Original music by Disco Volante. Sound production was by Andrew Cairns.